It's a blessing for me to come to you today. I would like to welcome everybody that has slotted into this webcast of Dynamic Love Ministries. I want you to know that you're going to hear the good news of Jesus. The focus will always be on what Christ has brought you and what that can bring forth in your life. It is beautiful to know that God has come to give us eternal life. We've been talking about new creation the last two Sundays, and I'm going to continue to talk about new creation. Or we can also say the creation that God had in mind from before time began or before the foundation of this world was laid. Now, before we get into the word, let us just pray together. Father, thank you so much that I can come today and stand here and preach to this audience that is watching this message. Your people, the people that you love, the people that you've cared for from the beginning. Thank you, Lord, that you've come to share your life with us. You've come to bring us to a place where we can share in your quality of life. And thank you that we can know we have eternal life. And from that, we can lay down our lives and love other people. So sharing in the life of Jesus. Amen and amen. I would like to uh, start off with, um, I think we're going to just do 2 Corinthians 5. Again, uh, I've been talking about this. This was our key passage that I've been sharing from. And uh, we're just going to start off there again. 2 Corinthians 5, talking about a new creation. Um, it says here in verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Paul says that he regards no one from a worldly point of view. Uh, in the King James, it says he knows no person according to the flesh. So there's another way wherein he knows people. There's another point of reference from where he approaches people. And that is Christ. Now, let us read on. It says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer so christ was uh when he was born he was jesus christ when he was born of mary he was a jew and the way that paul and the other apostles and all the people before him all the rabbis and all the jews were looking at the messiah was that the messiah was a jewish messiah for the jews uh, that he would come and bring them deliverance from oppression and that they would be delivered from the bondage and exile that they were in and that they can come and govern themselves again. In other words, that the temple, uh, you know, and all the feasts and everything can happen the way they should happen and that they can be the people of God. They would then be an example of God's blessing amongst the other nations. Um, and that is what they thought. So they thought that the Messiah was to be looked at as, uh, as the one that comes for the Jews. That would mean that the qualification would be that you have to be a Jew. Then, more than that, you have to be circumcised. And that would then render you righteous and uh, ready for the salvation that or it actually qualifies you for the Messiah. Now, we would find that um, what then happened was when the Messiah came, he did not come uh, for those reasons, but that he came 
and that he died for sin. Now, he still came for the Jews because the Jews, all of them are sinners, as well as what all the Gentiles are. They are also sinners. And by the fact that Jesus Christ uh, became sin, he died for us and he, he was bearing our sins even on the cross and he entered into death and he rose up. The fact that he was the Messiah and that the scriptures are fulfilled in him means that he was the Messiah for all people. So now we know no person anymore according to is he a Jew or is he a Gentile. There is something more. There's a new creation that has taken place. Now I want to look at this um, in verse 17. It says, therefore, it says, since we are not knowing Jesus Christ anymore according to the flesh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new creation has come. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Now, the, it's very powerful what Paul is saying here. He basically says that we looked at Jesus as a Jew, but now we don't look at him that way anymore. There are some people that say that Jesus will forever be a Jew. So he would forever owe his birth to Mary. Uh, <laughs> that is not true. Uh, Jesus, where he is right now, is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Uh, in order for Jesus to be a Jew, God will have to be a Jew. Jesus is not known according to the flesh. Jesus is known today according to new creation. That means that when Jesus was raised from the dead, Father God, the Holy Spirit, created and brought forth something that has never been before that day. And that man, Jesus, and what he is, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, we who are in him, we are also now new creation. So for us that are in Christ, we don't relate to ourselves, neither to one another, according to the flesh. We relate uh, we relate to one another according to what Jesus Christ has done. I also want to say that we who are in Christ, because of Christ, we look at people that are not even saved. We look at them from the perspective of uh, the, what Jesus Christ has done. And we look at any person that has never accepted Jesus Christ as the very person that Jesus Christ came for. What makes a person righteous or what sets you up to be as you ought to be is to simply believe on and make use of what Jesus Christ has done. The works of the law can never make you righteous, uh, never at all. No good work can ever make you righteous. Righteousness is found in Jesus and what is done. And if we uh, want to walk in righteousness, we just believe. Now, when you were a, a Jew, when you... In the Old Testament, you'll find the Jews, in order for them to be righteous, they had to be a Jew, they had to be circumcised. And then keep to the customs and the laws of Moses. That's what they had to do. But some of them, they were a bit reluctant about that because they knew they couldn't keep all of it. So to them, circumcision was the biggest thing. That is the, the sign of the covenant. And that's how you, you, you become part of the covenant. So you have to be a Jew, you have to be circumcised. Now, in truth, in what God has planned from before the world began, 
the way we stand righteous before God is by faith. It is only by faith. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that um, the gospel, let me just read Romans chapter 1 there. Let us go there. May not uh, skip it and read it properly for you. It talks about the gospel being the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Let me read it. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Uh, in the direct Afrikaans translation, it, it is translated as, it's a righteousness that solely stands on faith. It has always been about God making a promise and we simply believing him and then God bringing forth that promise. Now I'm going to say something that can sound like blasphemy, but please uh, just stick with me in what I'm going to say now. Uh, I mentioned this last week as well, but I think I'm going to put a bit more emphasis on it this week. Before the world began, just when there was Father, Son and Holy Spirit, or let, we can just say Elohim, when Elohim was there, when God was there, God has made a promise and he has decided that he's going to make a being that is in his image and in his likeness that would have the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That is what he decided. And this decision that there was in the Godhead, this plan that there was, this vision, if we want to call it just in normal terms, that there was, it was there from before the foundation of the world. This world system and all of this was founded by Adam. He brought it forth. Uh, he said, well, we're going to live by, by works and we're not going to follow what God gives. We're going to live outside of this. This is what he says by man, by Adam. He brought forth this, this system. But before that, Jesus was promised. Before that, eternal life was promised unto us. Um, and it was a promise. It was a word of promise towards us. And I want to read it to you from Titus. We can also read it in Ephesians. Uh, you guys know that I like this, this, um, this verse so much. And I'm sorry, but I just cannot get away from it. It is so powerful. It says, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So what he's basically saying here is, the knowledge of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ leads to godliness. Uh, like what we would say, you know, um, we can say that, uh, I've heard it many times, people say smoking can lead to the abuse of drugs, for instance. So in the very same way here, we can say that uh, Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and understanding what he has done, understand how he has set us free will lead to godliness in our lives. It will lead to good fruit. So we can see already here that Paul wants to teach the gospel to people because he knows the gospel produces the good news, uh, produce, <laughs> produces the good works. It is not uh, something we do from out of ourselves. Then it goes on in verse 2. He says, I am in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before 
the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Now that is very, very powerful. What he's saying is, is that there was a promise of eternal life in the hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised. So God promised something before the world began. NIV says here, before the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time, God promised something. So what was that? It was a word of promise. Now, if we, if we look at our relationship with God, many times we feel so indebted. We feel we owe God. We feel that, um, you know, He's been so good to us, we must be good to him and we must be good to his work and all those kind of things and i can understand and i also feel like that if i look at what god has done for me gratitude rises in my heart um, love rises in my heart for other people but that doesn't mean that i owe god something uh, in the Old Testament, and I want to say this, uh, and I want to say it in a, in, in a way where you cannot misunderstand this. In the Old Testament, or how we used to think was, because God is a holy God, we owe Him service. And that's where our relationship with Him starts. He first demands service from us. If we serve Him right, if we pray right, if we follow the law right, if we live right, if we love our neighbor, if we have a holy life, then only and only then, God actually then owes us salvation. Because we do these five things, and then God will bless us. I've heard it pre being preached by many, many preachers. I can name names right now, and point you to messages if you want, where they would preach and say that, uh, you know, God will not be indebted to any man if you have paid money or given money to the church or to a poor person then God owes you and then he must pay you uh, you know so you basically have the law and the law of righteousness whereby God uh, has to be has to keep and that's how you can make sure that you will have financial provision in the future and that's just absolute lie you know, God is not indebted to any man based on anything that any man has done by any principle at all. But I would say that if we look at promise, the word of promise, uh, we can say that God is indebted to man based on his own will and by his own promise. He promised eternal life and if he promised it, he will keep it because he is not a man that he should lie. So what that means is he is not, when we say he's not a man that he should lie, uh, what it means is it's not that he's bad because men are bad and men are just liars. What he's basically saying is, is that man is a mortal being and he cannot control all the circumstances uh, you know, that is around him. So he might not be able to fulfill his promise even though he wants to do it. For example, I can make a promise to people in Zambia and I can say to them, listen, uh, I'm going to uh, come and preach there at the end of the month. Well, I've promised them I will come. Okay, but there's certain things that can hinder me from coming. 
I can, uh, I, I mean, they can close the border. What then? Then I cannot keep my word. Why? Because I'm a man. I'm not God. But God, He cannot lie. He is not restricted by any circumstances or anything to bring forth what He has promised. So, when God had a word of promise, from the day that Adam opened his eyes, God, it sounds almost difficult to say, but God owed him eternal life. Because God promised it. That's why. It, it was not because of Adam's good works or anything. It was because God promised man from before the world began eternal life now before man was even there god decided it so he did not express that to any man but it was what 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 has happened in the godhead and this promise of eternal life this promise of sharing in eternal existence as well as the quality of god's life as seen in Jesus, a life of love and kindness and peace, a life of uh, a, a peacefulness inside yourself, a life where you can sacrifice for others and give life away. That kind of a life described as the fruit of the Spirit is what he offers us from the beginning, from before the world began. So let's read it again. Paul is a servant of God. And he's an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So what leads to godliness? Knowledge of the truth. What is the truth? The truth is what came through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that grace and truth came by Jesus. The Bible says he will send forth judgment unto truth or judgment unto victory. So uh, the victory is the truth. So what it says here is Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the victory that leads to godliness. So in order for us to live a godly life, we have to bear knowledge upon the victory that God has brought forth in Jesus Christ. So grace and the victory through that grace came by Jesus. The knowledge of sin and the, uh, 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 and the power of that sin is revealed through the law. So Jesus Christ brings this victory. And it says here that this knowledge of the truth, which brings forth a holy life, we are then in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and He has now manifested it. So we find that it has always been a promise. So what was in heaven before the world began? There was a word of promise. What was the promise? The promise was the promise of the Spirit. What is the Spirit? It is the very life of Almighty God. So, we find this word of promise is a, a word of eternal life, which is the word of the Spirit of God or the promise of the Spirit. We find that this Spirit of God is God Himself. And that is what God has promised us.
So, from before the world began, there was a promise or a word of promise. This word was that God would, that God basically promises you himself. He's not promising you himself something else. He's promising you that he would give unto you himself the fullness of who he is, but in a physical body that would then be called a heavenly physical body as what Jesus Christ possesses today. So we find that there was this word of truth uh, or the word of, not truth, the word of promise that was from before the world began. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if we just use the simplest terms we can explain this, they sat together and said, let us bring forth a man. And that man, we promise unto him eternal life. That would mean that the only way wherein you can accurately and truly and righteously stand before that God is to believe him. That's all. That is what, what I'm trying to say in Romans chapter 1 verse 17. That Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says that this whole thing, this whole salvation thing, the gospel of Jesus, the fact that he died and rose again, reveals that salvation has always forever been based on reliance, on, reliance upon a God who fulfills his promise. That is what it is. He's promised us this. This is also, um, and this is the way I, I read 1 John. And I want to read 1 John to you. It's beautiful. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So what word was from the beginning? The word of life. What word is it? It is a promise of eternal life. And it was from the beginning. From the depths of the eternal existence of God. There has never been a point in God where he ever thought of not having us. And sharing who he is with us. It's almost like saying that um, it, the, the, the idea that God would give us eternal life is as eternal as what God was love. God is, God is love. He's always been love. The question is, if God is love, who does he love? He the Father, Son, and Spirit love. There's love amongst each other. There is willingness to sacrifice amongst each other. The Son, the second person in the Godhead, is willing to, to lay down his life as it is explained in Peter, as it is explained in, in uh, um, Philippians. And we will also look at Philippians too. That word is what God has always promised us. So, if God has promised us, it means that it could never have been by our works. It has always been by simply believing and relying upon Him. So, 
I would put it this way. Adam, when Adam was made from the dust of the earth, God gave him access to the tree of life. What would the tree of life be to Adam? It would be the father fulfilling his promise to Adam that he will give him the fullness of who God is. Adam was naked. Eve was naked. It means they were still not clothed in the fullness of God. But there was a promise to them. And we find that this Adam and what is taking place in the garden, that message there has been God's message to Abraham. And Abraham believed. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. But we find that Adam did not believe. And then in his unbelief, he had no access to the tree of life. So in unbelief, you cannot have access to the tree of life. Only in believing upon the Father. And then what happened? We find that the Father spoke the same word, the same logos, the same message of promise was given to Israel. Did Israel believe? They did not believe it. And as they did not walk by faith, but they wanted to uh, work, excuse me, walk by the works of the law, too many W's there, Work by, walk by the works of the law, um, they just fell into death. But then the one the Father has promised and the life that the Father has promised came into this world. It came into this world and it brought new creation forth. It brought forth a creation that is not subject to mortality. We see how new creation look. You want to know how the new creation look? You look at the resurrected Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. The one that Stephen was beholding when he said, I see the Son of Man. I see the Son of Man. What an amazing statement. I see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. Not seated, I said I was seen standing there. And then when he saw the eternal life that is at the right hand of the Father, which provides eternal life for him, for Stephen, you know what he did? He went from uh, where he was preaching to those Jewish people and he was rebuking them because they are stubborn and hard and they refuse the Holy Spirit and all those things. He went right there. After seeing Jesus, he just came and he started to say, Father, forgive them as they started to kill him. And we find the very same attributes that there was in the life of Jesus in Stephen. So it is like, as you see, as you have knowledge of the victory, Stephen beheld the resurrected Jesus. He had knowledge of the victory. It led to God-likeness, wherein he prayed for those that were stoning him. And we see what, what eternal life looks like. It's, it's standing or sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. And we... Behold the empty grave. We behold what Paul saw when he went on the road to Damascus. That is what he's seeing. That is the word of promise. That's what God has promised us. Who of us, by our own works, our own ability, can ever attain unto what Christ is right now at the right hand of God? It is impossible. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So what he's basically saying is, this physical Jesus that was raised from the dead, we are proclaiming him as the word of life that was from before the world began. Let us just quickly go to John 1. In the beginning was the word. What word was in the beginning? The one that they proclaim as the word of life, the resurrected Jesus Christ. That is what he's talking about. That promise of life was there. So, friends, from beginning to end, it's only about one thing. God making a promise and we believing the promise. And God in the promise that he's made, has done many things in the Old Testament uh, and then in the death and resurrection of Jesus especially, as well as in signs and wonders and miracles afterwards, to persuade our hearts of the truth of his word and his faithfulness. So our faithfulness is measured by simply relying and resting in his faithfulness towards us which he showed in Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't that absolutely, absolutely powerful? It's such a powerful, powerful message. So, with that in mind, we can quickly go again to Romans chapter 1. What does it say in Romans 1? It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news that the kingdom of God, the promise of his life, has now entered into this world and that that recreation or that... I wouldn't say recreation, creating you into a new way or new being, if you want to call it like that. A human being that can live above sin and death. That is what he's promising. We see that word of the gospel. We see it and we're not ashamed of it. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. Saving from what? From sin and death. Saving from condemnation where we are not condemned to find our life in the latest covert reports where we don't find our life in the latest uh, kind of crazy laws that the governments wants to put in or raising of taxes or whatever they want to do when we behold governments we can so easily see the flesh of man the uh, uh, the absolute mortality of man, the corruption that there is. Corruption, I'm not talking about being corrupt in not handling things right. I'm talking about being temporal. The way things are led is not as if it must last forever. It must just last for now. We can see that when we look at the normal uh, things of this world, the, the, the temporal things. We are not condemned anymore. To have a life born from that. We are not condemned anymore to live from fear. We have been set free in Christ. We are a new creation. Because we now find the eternal promise of God. The word of God is now, has now become flesh. It has entered in. It was first prophetic words. It was spoken about. But now it materialized. It became true. In the man. And we now understand the way wherein God makes all things new. It is, he's going to do it through one man. The Messiah. 
which would not be the Messiah for the Jews, that would uh, just have Jewish politics in mind, but who turned out to be the Messiah for sinners. And since we find sinners on both, uh, both, in both camps, Jew and Gentiles, the moment the Messiah came for sinners, that moment Gentiles doesn't exist anymore and Jews doesn't exist anymore. The only thing that is before God is people that lack life unto whom God has promised life and, and to, unto whom He will give life. That's why when Jesus Christ was nailed, when He became an offering for sin, when he was nailed to the cross, then the Jew died there. There was no more reason for Jewish existence or Gentile existence as a people group. All of a sudden, when Jesus died upon the cross and he gave himself for sinners, he became an offering for sin. He became the Messiah for all people. And that's why we can say the, uh, the commandments were nailed to the cross that was contrary to us because there is therefore no more salvation by Jewishness or circumcision or anything. He came for sinners. He, became, he came as a sin offering is what God offered for sinners. So that's why we see no more Jew or Gentile. We are seeing just people, and the moment Jesus died upon the cross, and he became an offering for sin, he made of the two one new man. Why? In the unity of the fact that both groups are sinners. And he's an offering for sin, and when he offered sin and conquered sin and death in his resurrection, we now find new creation has, has dawned. New creation has entered into this world. And that is the gospel that is being preached. The gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus Christ was saying when he was saying, I want to preach, I'm preaching the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come close to you. It's come nigh. The time for the inauguration of new creation is here. And we found new creation show forth in the resurrected Jesus. When he was raised and he died, he buried and was raised from the dead, we find that we have changed from no more Jew and Gentile anymore. We are not in those people groups anymore. We are a people that stand before God in the sin offering that Jesus has sprinkled on us. And all of us, any one of the two, are now justified or we are standing righteous before God by believing that the promise he had made from the beginning will come forth. We then find that we who believe in Jesus, the spirit of his life is then poured out on our flesh. And as what Jesus in his resurrected flesh has no ability to be tempted to die or is above sin, all those kind of things, we find that the Spirit is now recreating and making us new. So we are looking at ourselves as the new creation in Jesus Christ, where there's neither Jew or Gentile, but the hopeful expectation of life. Eternal life. In the beginning was the Word. This Word that was promised us. I can put it this way. In the beginning was the Word of promise. 
This word was God himself. And this word was with God. Talking about the Godhead there. That God would bring forth this man. We can also say with God as standing face to face or being of the same mind. It's not contrary to God. Are you with me? Are you with me on this? Okay. In the beginning was the word of God's promise. This word was the promise that God made that he promises himself to us. He was with God in the beginning. Now he's, what John is doing is he's taking this resurrected Jesus that he's beholding and he's bringing him into the Godhead and explaining how this whole thing works. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of mankind. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, so what is he saying here? Nothing in this world, I did say it last week and I want to say it again. I want to just emphasize on this. Nothing in creation that you see, no galaxy, no star, nothing in the physical world, neither a tree or an animal or whatever form of life you behold here. Nothing was made without this word of promise in mind. When God promised eternal life through Jesus Christ or the Son or the second person in the Godhead or the spirit of life or the spirit of promise, however we want to word it, when God, this is the best way to say it, when God promised eternal life from His word of promise of eternal life, He made the earth. And he made the stars, and he made the sun, and he brought forth animals, he brought forth fish, he brought forth everything that we can see, made by God. And then he brought forth the man unto whom the promise was made. So nothing that was made in this world was made without God thinking of you having eternal life. Well, let me put it this way. Everything that was made in this earth was made because of the promise of eternal life for you. I want to make somebody that I can share my life with. Okay, where will they live? Let's make an earth for them. Let's make a place for them if they want to be like us and we are an influential God of grace wherein we can inf have an influence on things and change things and bring things forth. Let's create an earth. Let's put them on the earth. They will have dominion, meaning the life that I've promised them will roll over through them into the situation or the places where they are. And so all of creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. So we find that nothing that was made. Also I want to say that this word and promise of eternal life. Is what holds everything together and in its place. This promise of eternal life. This promise of eternal life. Who was he? We found that this promise manifested. It is Jesus we find that he did have a glory, but he laid down his glory in his love for man. And he took up his glory again, but this time inside immortal flesh. 
wherein he shows us the word of promise, where he stirs our faith, where he restores our faith, where we believe unto eternal life. I want to just quickly read this to you in uh, Philippians. It's always been by promise. Before I get to Philippians, let me quickly run to uh, Romans 4. Romans 4. What shall we say, Abraham our father, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? In fact, Abraham was justified, in fact, Abraham was justified by works. He had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. How? However, to the one who does not work but trust God who justifies the ungodly or who gives eternal life to, to ungodly people. Now, what it, the way he does it was he makes you godly. It leads unto holiness and then eternal life. Okay. Let me read verse 5. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly. Their faith is credited as righteousness. So, if you work for it, you want it not by promise, but it was given by promise from before the world began. Those who believe, the fact that you believe is credited to you for righteousness. In other words, the Jews thought that you're righteous if you circumcised and if you're a Jew, keeping the customs of Moses, the law. But now God says, no, that's not how it works, because it's not by your work that you're going to attain unto anything. It's not about who you are in the flesh. It's about who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Spirit is, and what Elohim, what God has promised us before the world began and it is for him to fulfill it the only way you can stand righteous is what abraham discovered there and that is that he believed god and he believed that god can justify the ungodly that was true from the beginning even the bible says that adam was a shadow of the one that was to come so we find that uh, uh, God was speaking forth what he thought about and brought forth to man from Adam. In every generation, he was speaking through so many different things. Wars, battles, people groups, Israel, prophets, everything he has this word in mind. So we find that we live by faith. Then I want to continue and I want to just talk about the holiness that comes forth. And I want to just say this, and, and as we're ending off this program, I've been preaching the message of God's grace for a very long time. And I feel that I would like for this message to, um, or let me put this way, I would like for myself to see more of this godliness manifest in my life. Yes, you might say, but Bertie, you are very godly. We see many godly things in you. I'm grateful for that. But it's like Paul. You know, I want to grab a hold of that of which I've been grabbed a hold of by, by Jesus Christ. 
I want to see the, the fullness of Jesus or his life as he lived on the earth manifest in me as I have knowledge about what he has done. And we can look at it this way. Look at this. This will really help us. He says here in uh, Philippians 2. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was his mindset? This is his mindset. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That's amazing. So Jesus did not, we're talking about the pre-incarnate word of God. He did not think equality with God to be something that is just for his own advantage. No. He did not think of it that way. He did not think that I cannot lay anything down because I've got eternal life and because I must now have eternal existence. It's almost like saying, uh, and let's just make it very practical, uh, when it comes to the things of this world. Do you think that God has come to prosper you? God has come to bless you. Now that God has blessed you, you re and you realize that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you start to experience life. Now you think that that life is just for yourself. It says here that Jesus Christ, being in the image of God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God and lay down his life. In other words, uh, say that let th this love that God has, the eternal God, he said, I have eternal life. Let me give some of it to someone. Let me give some of it to someone. It's like my one friend said. He said um, he reads Bible and it's wonderful and so, but he likes to go and visit people in the hospital and just cry with them. And he says when he's there, and he cries with them, prays for them. He feels God is there. It's like I have life. I have time. I can go and say God's given me time. God's given me uh, relaxation. Whatever it is you want to think God has given you. Or holiness. Or uh, standing before God as innocent. Standing before God as righteous. He says, look at Jesus here. He says, let us live, be, have this mindset to, to one another, who being in the nature of God, Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. So, what happens here? Jesus Christ, let me put it this way, the Word of God in heaven spoke to the Father, or the Father and the Son spoke to each other, and they say, let us bring forth a man. How will we bring this man forth and make sure he's sealed into eternal life, that it is not by him, but by us? What if they sin? What will we do? The son said, I will lay down who I am here. I'll lay it down. I will not use being in equality with you, Father, for my own gain. I am going to, as our plan is, 
I mean, the word of promise of eternal life was with God on this matter. We are going to give life to others. We're going to share this life with others. And what happened? He came and he took unto him the nature of a man. And he was obedient even unto death. Obedient to what? To the original word and the promise in order to get that fulfilled. He, he listened to what the Father promised him. When Jesus came into the likeness of a man, he needed to believe in the Father to, and the Spirit to raise him from the dead. Which then happened. And here it says that since we have this promise of eternal life, since we are a new creation, we don't live like the old creation anymore. The old creation is about what it can get to produce life in it. But we who have now become a new creation, we are renewed in the knowledge of what God has brought. And as we are renewed in that, we find that we are formed and shaped into people and beings that has got eternal life, that doesn't lack life, but we've got abundance of life. So uh, a life cannot, we, we cannot be robbed from our life. That is why we can go and we can say, let us, uh, I can lie, love my wife. Because my wife is not anymore there to be a, a, a trophy for me. She's got life eternal in Christ. I've got life eternal in Christ. Therefore, we can now uh, humble ourselves and love one another, be there for one another, care for one another, and we would not feel that we're losing anything. Because we are sure of the resurrection of Jesus and what we will have in the end. It says here, he became obedient even to the death of the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, I want to say, you cannot look at yourself anymore. From the perspective of an old creation. You are a new creation. You've got the promise of life. That promise of life has now come with evidence into this earth. The spirit of that life has been poured out on you. As you experience the spirit of life. Uh, of, 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 uh, the spirit of eternal life on you already. We can now consider one another. In the very same way as what God considered us. He didn't count it robbery. To love us. And gave his life for us. Because he knew. Jesus the word knew. That he would be raised from the dead. For he has eternal life. From the father. That is how it works. So that is why. We in this earth live holy lives. Because we have the promise of eternal life. And if you don't live a holy life. What is the problem? You need to be renewed. And reminded. Of who you are in Jesus. We cannot live holy lives by commandments. We cannot live holy lives by what we must do. The idea that God had from the beginning wasn't get, to get people to act like Him and uh, uh, do what He does. The idea was to share the life that He has, which He knows is forever, with them, that they can have it, come to the knowledge of it and the surety of it, and from there you find the life of God manifesting in our lives. Glory to God. 
I trust this message has blessed you. We've got, we don't have to live with a feeling of indebtedness all the time. I'm talking about it in a negative way. We can know that God has come and He's made the promise and He's, he's acted as one that cannot lie, that's going to keep to the promise. That if He's promised it, that's what He owes us and that's what He's going to give us. It's not owed to us because of anything we've done. We are just dust, naked, uh, knowable in ourselves, like the grass. The, when the breath of God would blow upon, when the breath of God blows upon all the establish, establishments of man, they will just disappear like the grass when they've got nothing. It is dead. I remember there was a flight, I think, is it, I can't remember what the flight was, but it was flying over the ocean and the plane got missing. Man and all of its abilities couldn't find that plane. It was just gone. So we are just so weak in ourselves. And what makes us strong is God. And God laying down His life and giving us life. And we that has now received this life, we are a new creation. We think and reason from the perspective of eternal life. And that is where our lives change. Where we find love is born into other people. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And he who does not love, talking about his neighbor, has not seen God, neither known God. What that means is you cannot love outside of this, I wouldn't just say message, but out of the manifestation of the Spirit of God inside you. It is sharing in who God is. Amen and amen. I trust this message has blessed you and that it is food for thought. Let us pray together. Father, thank you so much that I can just declare every person blessed. I can declare every person as one to whom the promise has been made. I thank you that they believe this word and that this word stands strong in them. Thank you, Lord, that we can behold the promise that was from the beginning, that has manifested. Thank you, Lord, that when we behold you seated at the right hand of the Father, it is still a continual word of promise. And we find the first, uh, 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 first fruit of fulfillment in our lives as we live by your Spirit or because of your Spirit. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. I would just like to thank every one of you for allowing me to serve you with the good news of Jesus Christ. I would also just like to thank every person that is just encouraging me and Eliana on a regular basis, um, you know, and just saying to us, keep on with the good news, keep on with the good work. Thank you for every person that supports us in every way possible um, that you are doing i mean people are transcribing our my messages people are sharing messages people are giving finances people are encouraging Eliana and i thank you for that thank you just for who you are and that we are as a body bringing forth the message of jesus christ to people i also just want to say that i'm going to Eliana and i we are planning to go to zambia to preach at a conference there We've now had a, uh, a well drilled there um, because there was not running water in the town anymore. And now they needed, for the conference, we needed a well. We had a well drilled. They've just finished with that uh, yesterday, and we are excited to go. If everything um, it goes according to plan, we will be there uh, by the 20th 
of this month and we will stay there for about a month. We would like to, and this is what we are thinking, to preach the conference, have some outreaches there and maybe start our building project. Um, I think we'll definitely start with that, do the foundations and whatever for uh, Eliana and I's house over there. So uh, thank you so much just for who you are and just uh, it's beautiful to see the gospel of grace growing in your lives. And then we'll talk again next week. God bless.